You're listening to another episode of The Zag, continuing our mini-series, The Social Distancing Era of our podcast. Excited to be joined again by one of our favorites, Luke Lippis here, one of the original founders of NSC LA. We're going to talk happy things. We're going to talk a little bit of LAFC, see what else comes up. But yeah, a little less doom and gloom on this episode, so I'm excited to catch up with him. Let's get to it. All right, Luke. Yeah, let's talk... LAFC. You want to tell people what LAFC means? Oh, you think still people in the city? I feel like it's, it's such a <laughs> phenomenon, and you've you've you know your Twitter feed alone has convinced me what it is. But that's probably oh, a good place boy. to start. So so tell tell folks what LAFC stands for. It is the Los Angeles Football Club. And how old is the club now? Is it season two, three? How long have they been around? Well, technically, we're in the third season. Although, as we all know, things are a little bit on hiatus at the moment. Uh, but the team itself was formed uh, five years ago in 2015 when uh, a different major league soccer team in LA folded and the rights to that team were purchased by a new ownership group, which then went on to create LAFC. And did you have a love of soccer before that or has it grown over time? Yeah, yeah, I've loved soccer my whole life. Uh, however, finding sort of the appropriate or proper opportunity moments to sort of jump in and, and be either a fan of it or play of the game have uh, have have been difficult over the years. <laughs> I've found moments here and there, but this was something that just sort of jumped out at me and I decided let's do it. And I was sort of half kidding about learning a lot about the team through your t- Twitter feed. I think I originally caught my eye because, yeah, you, you pointed out there's some real kind of civic advantages to the team's location, right? It's near USC. It's on the expo lines. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, a, it's like it's easier to get to. It feels more like an accessible citywide team. Are there other reasons though that you've really found yourself taken with how the club has formed over the last two years? Yeah. I mean, I think it'd be fair to say that uh, when my husband and I were interested in it at the start, it was because we saw that they were going to be creating this stadium in the heart of the city. And we recognized the opportunities for that, that frankly, were not available to us with the LA Galaxy, which is a team that those of us who are big fans of LAFC refer to as Carson Galaxy, since technically <laughs> the Galaxy don't play in Los Angeles. Um, however, uh, since the team has been playing, what has really kind of shifted for me is is seeing it is going from seeing it as just a uh, a fun thing that we like to do to something that's really quite special and meaningful. Um, it was, I think, the second or third game they played ever where they were starting on the road because the stadium was still being finished and so their first six games were on the road and i saw something about uh watch parties on social media that they were that fans were gathering at various bars across the region to go watch the the team play and i inquired about uh anything for lgbt fans specifically and this this Twitter handle, uh, Pride Republic, responded to me and said, "Yeah, we'll be at this bar at this time." And I was just kind of blown away because <laughs> I had I had no idea that there was actually already an LGBT supporters group for LAFC. Didn't even realize that that was really kind of even a thing uh, for any professional sports, let alone that it already existed for a team that was just playing its second or third professional match ever. Yeah, that's good to see. And, you know, I don't follow 
soccer as closely as other sports, but I do feel like from time to time I'll see headlines about there's problematic fan behavior when it comes to the LGBT community. And it's good to hear that maybe LAFC is, is working hard to get out in front of that. Is that true? How would you describe sort of the relationship to that problematic uh, issue in, in soccer stadiums happening? Well, I mean, I think as a, as a gay man, I would just say that my experience with professional sports generally has been that homophobia exists Mm. uh, across sports. Uh, It doesn't seem to just be unique to any particular sport. It certainly expresses itself in different ways in different sports, but it is not unique to any particular one. And the other thing I would just note is that, well, I think for people who are unfamiliar with sort of soccer culture and supporters group culture, uh, supporters groups are independent of the team management. So, you know, a lot of teams like, for instance, the LA Dodgers will do a pride night. They'll have an LGBT pride night. Well, that's what we would consider in the soccer culture as a front office event. It wouldn't be an event that was necessarily sponsored by or organized by the supporters groups. But in soccer culture, supporters groups are independent and do their own kind of thing. And for LAFC, um, the most visible representation of the independent supporters groups uh, for the team are what we call the 3252, which is named after the North End's number of seats that it has for safe standing, 3,252 seats, and is quickly becoming sort of the uh, gold star example, if you will, across Major League Soccer of supporter group culture. Um, and Pride Republic is not formally yet associated with that, but um, that was something that I, I tied into very, or keyed into very early on. Um, but at the very first home match for LAFC, uh, the folks who were accustomed to sort of an old way, I will call it, old way of doing things um, within supporter, with, within soccer culture, uh, started using this chant, which is, uh, happens all over uh, so certain countries' uh, professional soccer venues which is incredibly homophobic. And I recognized it immediately and immediately felt like, this is a problem. I don't belong here. This is not a welcoming space. But the team also recognized it. And immediately the front office reached out to the Pride Republic, reached out to the head of the 3252, reached out to the team, the team's players, and came out very strongly the very next game with statements by the heads of all of those different organizations, those different parts of the organization, I should say, and a very public uh, announcement uh, that was made through the over the big screens at the stadium and had rainbow flags out on the field and said, we're not doing this ever again. We're not having this chant in our stadium ever again. And they didn't just do it that one time. They've had those rainbow flags out on the field every single match since then. Every wow. single one, and I should know because I've been to just about all of them. <laughs> and they've they've stuck with it, and they've they've built on that and said we're not going to just make a statement. We're going to partner. They've been partnering um, with the uh, uh, Glad, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, which does a lot of work in communications across the country. Um, they've done work with Pride Republic and the Thirty Two Fifty Two around the Pride Night. In other events, there was a whole parade contingent that was organized with the Pride Parade last year, which uh, unfortunately the Pride Parade has been at least postponed uh, this year in yeah. light of 
uh, coronavirus, but uh, should it be, uh, should it occur later, the 32 Pride Republic and LAFC stand ready to have a really incredible contingent to participate in that and demonstrate our organization's support for fans of the beautiful game who also happen to be LGBT and allied. Listen, when we come back well, after a short break, we'll ask Luke a little bit more about uh, two of his loves, sports, and maybe a little bit of urban planning as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Yeah, Luke, one of the things I was curious about, you know, we're talking at the beginning about how effective that stadium ended up being just in terms of the architecture is beautiful, but the location, the accessibility is huge. When you think about stadiums that are opening in cities in the future, like what would you want a, an, an ideal urban planner to consider when they're you know, going to open something? I guess even it's even true in LA, though it's probably too late to fix with the Ram Stadium. Do you feel like that's going to be a, a strong example of, of a smartly built stadium in terms of, of community accessibility and community relations, or, or would you have wanted them to go a different route? I mean, specific to the, what I guess, SoFi Stadium, I would say for me, the jury is still out. The mm-hmm. original plan for that stadium included, uh, I want to say 3,000 new apartments and condos to be built uh, directly adjacent to the stadium in the area that is also part of the overall property that was is being redeveloped. And when I say the jury's still out, I mean, I don't know if they're actually going to do that. Uh, if that's actually, you know, how long it's going to take. I mean, I would worry that we end up with just another stadium plopped down in the middle of a sea of parking lots, which frankly um, is, a you know, in the case of an NFL stadium, NFL teams play eight regular season home games in a year. Now you'll have two teams splitting that stadium. So you'll have up to 16 regular season home games in a year. So you're talking about a massive consumption of land for something that will get used 16 days, but not even the full day, right? It'll get used, you know, if you think about the 24 hours in a day, it will get used maybe a third of that 16 times in an entire year. So that's a humongous amount of space and and uh, demand on, on space in a very uh, densely packed urban environment where land is a premium. Um, and by contrast, you look at the LAFC stadium, the beautiful Bank of California stadium, as some of us call it, the cathedral. <laughs> I don't call it that myself. I'll just say <laughs> that right off the bat. Um, but in LAFC's case, uh, the regular season of MLS, in a, in a standard regular season, they'll play 17 home matches. Then there's also outside tournaments, the U.S. Open Cup, and for LAFC right now this year, the CONCACAF. Tournament of Champions. So there's a few more matches with that as well. Um, and there's also a lot less space for this particular stadium consuming land for parking because they, they put it down in the existing exhibition park um, and basically just are reutilizing the existing parking that was already there. So for the most part, it's a well accessible, loca- well, well located location for transit, walking, biking, um, and yet also still has a fair amount of parking for people who would like to use that as well. Um, so overall, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a better use of space. And, and while I noted the 16 potential home matches for home games for, for football versus the 17 regular season for, for MLS, um, the other thing I should note is that this stadium, the Bank of California stadium is also getting used 
regularly throughout the year for other events, concerts, shows, and other things. So I, I would say that it's probably getting used, uh, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 things, events, matches, whatever, over the course of the year, which is better. It's not great. Uh, this is the difficulty with a venue like this in a really dense urban environment. Hey, last thing, short answer to <laughs> favorite board game to play when you're cooped up inside for probably weeks on end. What are you and your oh boy. partner going to do to pass the time in terms of board game playing if you had to pick one? Board games. Wow. Board games. Take, a, take a poll. What do you you didn't give, you didn't give me a land? chance there to get ready for this one. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely a fan of Monopoly, although I haven't played it in forever. Uh, I would probably also say Settlers of Catan, although uh, that's another one that uh, I don't like to pull out unless I absolutely have to, because if I don't do well, I'm not happy for quite a while. Oh, okay. Well, I don't want to upset <laughs> I'm competitive, any Eric. I'm competitive. Marital bliss there. Okay, this is true. This is true. Listen, thanks for coming on. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Zag. Hopefully you have your board game of choice at home and hopefully you have a little bit of time to listen to all the episodes we're going to drop in the next weeks or so. Uh, we've already put up six or seven just in the last couple of days. We'll have more folks coming on, sharing some of their social distancing stories, talking about whatever they want to talk about. And if you're really bored, catch up on the 200 plus episodes that are already existing on our favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher. They're all there. Check them out. Until next time, we'll catch you soon.